2: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect.
3: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
2: Welcome to Stuff
4: Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And in part two of our Mother's Day week, we're talking about post-pregnancy weight loss. In our last episode, we talked about celebrity culture and baby bump watches. And today we're talking about another growing aspect of tabloid celebrity culture, which is the post-pregnancy weight loss Watch.
0: Yeah, this is yet another but related obsession with monitoring women's bodies, women we don't know in real life. Although, as we'll talk about, it certainly does bleed into real life out of the pages of the tabloids. Um, I mean, celebrity women themselves... Are sort of damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. If they gain too much weight during pregnancy, they're out of control. They're sloppy. If they don't gain enough weight, they're not taking care of themselves and they're being selfish and not taking care of their future children. But I think when, overall, when we, when we have this discussion, we need to keep in mind that generally the celebrities who we are judging have enough money to hire professional chefs and trainers that allow them to meet crazy expectations that women's bodies should look a certain way in a certain period of time post-pregnancy.
4: Well, and I think too, that this whole post-pregnancy weight loss fascination obviously goes along with a tabloid and paparazzi culture and that being more present than ever before via celeb blogs and social media. And I think it also is an extension of how we love a magical makeover. We love Mm -hmm. a before and after. So we now have so many photo galleries on so many websites and also featured in print of the female celebrity before she had the baby you know, at her at her largest point during pregnancy. And then now look at her on the beach. You can't even
0: tell she had a baby. How'd she do it? I mean, but that's key, though, it to this discussion, whether it's about baby bumps or post-pregnancy weight loss is almost erasing is this this pursuit of erasing any evidence that a baby was had. And yes, I'm looking at you, Victoria's Secret angels. That's like a huge discussion. It seems like every year when that Victoria's Secret fashion show rolls around, some angel Three hours ago popped out a baby and people are like, oh, good for her. Look at her. You can't even tell. Look at those abs. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Where's the pooch? It doesn't exist. That baby just sort of evaporated out of her womb and came back together outside of it. And of course, the sub the subtext
4: of that is and ladies, you can do that, too.
0: Yeah, but I mean, even celebrities are sort of tisk tisking other celebrities. So there was an in-style photo gallery, one of three billion out there on the Internet, uh, that featured celebrities before and after pictures. And one of the celebrities in the gallery was Rebecca Romijn when she was pregnant with her twins. And the accompanying text uh, talked about how she she got this phone call from uh, supermodel Elle, the body McPherson, one day. And she says, Elle told me, listen, you have a nice body. You should really take care of it. That was the best advice I ever got. Until then, it never occurred to me to work out. I have a lot of questions <laughs> regarding that. Um But, yeah, I was
4: as surprised to read that as you were, Caroline, because... I don't know if that was Rebecca Romijn's uh, subtle way of throwing shade at Elle McPherson for calling her and having the cojones to say that, um, but the entire thing, though, the entire tone of this instyle and so many of these other galleries is applause for these women. Of oh, look at them, they're just looking fantastic. Just looking great. She did Pilates. She takes long walks around her California ranch. She (laughs) hikes. She only eats spinach. It's perfect. (laughs) I mean, and this also, I mean, the Kardashians are a controversial family for us to even mention on this podcast. I know that because when we posted a photo of Kim Kardashian on our Facebook page, heavens, the comment section was um, a little disturbing. But... They are important to talk about in this conversation because, I mean, the focus on their bodies pre and post childbirth has been horrendous. There was one incident with Kourtney Kardashian when OK Tabloid magazine just photoshopped her body completely, erasing all of the weight that she had gained. And she even came out and said that, hey, uh, I haven't lost all that weight. That was a total Photoshop."
0: Job. Well, yeah, because I think they published that like five days after she'd given birth to her baby. And yeah. so she's like, no, hello. No, this magazine. I never spoke to this magazine. They never took these pictures of me. They just totally in Photoshop shaved off part of my body. And of course, I just wonder if this is part of an effort. I wonder, but I sort of know this is an effort to just get moms in line at the checkout counter to be like, oh, my God, she just had that baby four hours ago and she's already lost the weight. How'd she do it? I'm going to buy this magazine to find out. I mean, it's it's sort of a cheap trick to try to do that. And then, of course, say what you will about Kim Kardashian or any of the Kardashians, for that matter. But these women do not deserve the body abuse that they've suffered, particularly Kim, because the abuse that she Suffered. I mean, it was this constant, never-ending barrage of fat shaming, both during and after her pregnancy, to which I say, could you people please lay off? She is a very short person, and weight shows up very easily on really short people. But again, it's part of that whole applause factor. E featured a story headlined Kim Kardashian unhappy with post baby body with so many exclamation points. And it talks about how the mom of one is determined to lose 15 to 20 pounds to get her pre baby body back. And that's that's everything all of those magazines out there are talking about the crazy workouts to try to get your body back. Well, think about that language. Get your body back. No, Mm -hmm. you didn't. You gave birth to a baby.
4: You didn't. Like your body didn't leave you. You're not somehow disconnected from your body. I mean, I understand what that means. But I'm just saying when you pay attention to this language, like we talked about in the baby bump episode, how the tabloid uh, term showing off, showing off. Anytime a pregnant woman exits her house, she's showing off. She's not just going to the grocery store. And it's a similar kind of thing. As soon as women have a baby, they're immediately trying to get this runaway body back.
0: Yeah, you know, we mentioned Kate Middleton in our, in our first episode, and she is no stranger to being on the receiving end of all this body judgment. Um, she was totally put under a microscope, both during her pregnancy, because apparently her baby bump was too small by tabloid standards. And then, of course, the post-baby body policing she faced for her post-baby bump. And it actually, though, Hope, you know, filled me with hope. She act, that actually faced a bit of a backlash. It sort of was sparked by this, um, British news anchor who posted a picture of herself two months after having a baby and is like, look, this is what you look like after a baby. You just pushed out a human. Just screw everybody else. Yeah. I remember very clearly in her
4: first publicity photos after having Prince George, she's wearing this blue dress and you can see the outline of her stomach and she still has the bump. And I remember reading probably a post on Jezebel or someplace like that saying, thank God for this photo of showing. They were like, I'm so glad that she came out in public while she still had this bump because everyone thinks that it just disappears. Yeah. But no, your, <laughs> there was, there was a, a human in there hanging out, burrowing. And the burrow doesn't just magically <laughs> go away. Also, I'm not a doctor, clearly. I think you got you got a little burrow.
0: No, but I mean I think it's crazy that that uh I, I think you can argue that much of our human population has either been pregnant or been around a pregnant person and should logically know and understand, or at least have it make sense in your brain, that that baby bump doesn't just go away magically. But we somehow hold famous people to this expectation that they're all going to look like a Victoria's Secret angel after they give birth, and that's just not reality. And this is something that also came up more recently recently, when a Fox News anchor made a whole bunch of nasty comments about the body of pop star and new mom Kelly Clarkson. And people, thankfully, were super vocal in their displeasure with how like gross and tacky he was. And he ended up apologizing because, I mean, at that point, you have to. You've been a jerk and now the whole world is calling you on it. But still, I mean, that is just an example of the fact that everybody's looking, everybody's judging, and they think they have a right to for some reason.
4: Well, this also prompts a deeper look into this fixation that we clearly have on weight babies and these women's bodies. Because along with all of these semi horrific before and after photo galleries on InStyle and other places, there are plenty of think pieces as well trying to analyze our celebrity pregnancy weight obsession And honestly, they're probably warranted considering that level of shaming that we've been talking about. Um, And it's a similar theme that comes up as our previous episode focusing on the baby bump. Are we just uncomfortable with what pregnancy means? Do we just want no evidence that these women had sex whatsoever, but we want them to be sexualized? We just don't want to think about them in the context of sex for the sake of procreation.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. And Katie Gentile, uh, writing for Daily Beast in January of 2010, wrote, it is chilling to watch the culture become more and more obsessed with babies while the evidence of how these babies are created is removed from public view. It's like, okay, well, you can be a pre-pregnancy hot sexual being. Uh, during pregnancy, you're allowed to have a very cute... Well, accessorized baby bump uh, in, in modest, not too sexy clothes. And then post pregnancy, you need to get rid of any uh, flappy skin evidence that you ever created a human. Well, and you mentioned too how having the, the celebrity pregnancies are
4: obvious tabloid fodder because it instantly provides at least nine months worth of related news, in quotes. And the postpartum weight is part of that because now that the baby's gone well we can still talk about estimations of how much weight did they gain and it's interesting that the weight almost becomes its own entity
0: like how much money did they make last year yeah how much weight did they gain well
4: it's in the same way of compartmentalizing these women into bumps into weight into they they aren't they aren't fully human beings anymore. They're just these parts of themselves.
0: Yeah. And then those parts are used to sell us diet and fitness tips that at best are unrealistic and at worst are unhealthy. And then we blame the regular women around us on the street or in our lives for failing if they can't achieve that post-baby supermodel status. And so there's this sort of equation that happens between empowerment and With weight control and making yourself smaller, it's that whole getting your body back is supposed to be empowering. And while, yes, is exercising and eating right and and feeling good about yourself empowering? Absolutely. But is forcing yourself to go into overdrive to an unhealthy extent to make yourself smaller when, dude, you just created a human? Well, because it's not about
4: health, it's about a thin ideal mm-hmm. as empowerment. And the this culture celebrates that so much. Um, this was something I was reminded of during this past year's Golden Globes when Rosamund Pike, star of Gone Girl, arrived in this Alexander Wang gown that had side cutouts. And it wasn't Shocking necessarily, but it was daring, every single fashion person said, because she had had a baby five weeks previous. And so they were saying, well, it is, this is a daring choice for a woman who has so recently had a baby, to make because she's really putting a lot of her body on display.
0: Well, it's like people are freaking out. It's like, no, 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 we don't want you to let us into your lives like that. Like, pose nude when you're at your quote-unquote normal weight or normal body or when
4: you you have the big bump and you
0: can do it Demi Moore style. Right, but like, ooh, I don't want to accidentally maybe see a stretch mark. Like, that might be TMI for me. So what is this cycle of... Pregnancy, some judgment, some backlash,
4: repeat. What is that doing to us? Not just celebrities, but how
0: is that impacting just humans with bodies walking around? Well, I really liked author Claire Misko's post over at Fusion talking. She leads off by talking about the, that Fox News anchor's comments about Kelly Clarkson's weight And she says that awful comments like this really end up reinforcing our own negative feelings. And so I thought her post was so on point and so depressing all at the same time. She says the whole thing mimics the internal dialogue that millions of smart, accomplished, bona fide feminist women have with ourselves. And she talks about the cycle of feeling bad because we don't think we're thin enough or fit enough. And then we feel even worse for getting caught up in that, you know, dumb internal dialogue. We feel like we should be above that. And beyond that. She says the anchor's words, his unkind words themselves, remind us all, even those who those of us who feel like we're a confident and we can rise above all of that junk. They remind us that no matter how hard we work, whether it's working on our outside or working on our inside or both there's a very real cloud of appearance-based judgment hanging over us. And she says, it's not in our heads. People, not only this news anchor, he's just one of a million. People all over the place are looking at your pregnant body or your post-pregnant body or your never-been-pregnant body and hurling judgments at it all the time. And it's a terrible reminder of that.
4: Yeah, I mean, if we try to pose this as a chicken-egg kind of thing, I don't necessarily think that celebrity culture is to blame. I don't think that that's the chicken that laid the egg. I think that it's a reflection of our collective scrutiny.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And tabloid culture is capitalizing on that and absolutely fanning the flames in, quote-unquote, real life. And we're going to talk more about that in the experience of IRL moms, moms not living in Hollywood and wearing Alexander Wang gowns,
1: So visit Snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
3: The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights.
2: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right
3: around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Now, I should emphasize that Rosamund Pike and other
4: other women who have children who do wear Alexander Wang gowns are not not real moms. (laughs) I just meant, you know, women who aren't necessarily going to be in the spotlight of celebrity
0: tabloids. Or women who don't have the money to pay... Chefs and trainers every day.
4: Yeah, and this was something that Bethany Neumeyer was writing about in April 2015 uh, over at the Huffington Post about how she faced a list of terrible comments from people who were concerned about the health of her fetus because she was apparently too thin in their eyes. And she posted a photo of herself, and yeah, I mean she was literally like a you know a, a rather thin person with a basketball on the front of her. But that's also how pregnancy goes
0: for some bodies. Every body has a different body. But she pointed out that it's not only that she was critiqued for being too thin, other people did tell her, "God, you're so fat." What? I know. I know. Like You can't win. You no, you can't. Um and a lot of this, our perceptions about ourselves and about other women is really tied up in our own attitudes toward weight, fat, food, confidence and beauty overall. And this paper in Social Science and Medicine in February 2000 looked at what affects weight management and weight concerns during the so-called motherhood transition, when you're going from being pregnant to going to have the baby actually in your arms. And they found that, not surprisingly, your pre-pregnancy attitudes towards your weight, towards really weight and uh, body fat in general, ended up being the main influence on their attitudes towards uh, weight and physical activity and diet and on postpartum weight outcomes the most. And only a few of those 36
4: women interviewed in that study diverged from their pre-pregnancy attitudes toward weight, diet, and exercise. And the Journal of Reproductive and Infant Psychology took it further in one study published in 2005 looking at the effects of disordered eating habits. And this is something that we've uh, touched on before in an earlier podcast. And it found that moms with eating disorders were likelier than the comparison group to view the external world as negative and critical about what the study authors described as their new maternal selves, which is kind of heartbreaking. And I do know of women who definitely feel that level of scrutiny and are very uncomfortable with the pregnancy weight gain and want it just like it made them feel like completely different humans.
0: Yeah, exactly. And when when they compared the moms who had disordered eating habits to moms in the comparison group, Those moms seemed, quote, better able to prioritize and tolerate their baby's dependency on their bodies. And they discussed breastfeeding in relation to the needs of their child rather than their own needs, unlike circling back to tabloids. Basically, every story about a new mom that's ever been written, which frames breastfeeding as like a quick fix to lose weight. Oh, yeah.
4: If you read any of those stories about, well, how did she get back to that pre-baby body, which apparently went on vacation to, (laughs) I don't know, to Cabo. And all of them always say, well, I breastfed, so I just dropped the weight.
0: And it's like, yeah, and we'll, we'll touch on, we'll, we'll get into, you know, what realistic expectations for weight loss are, and we will touch on breastfeeding, but you just can't look at it as a magic fix like that. You have to be able to take care of yourself and your new baby. Well, it's just unhealthy to promote breastfeeding, not as, oh,
4: this is a choice that you can have, this is how it may or may not impact your health, your baby's health, but rather as a weight loss tip. That seems not so healthy. And, now we're going to mention the old panopticon, Jeremy Bentham's famed panopticon that we discussed in our episode on slut shaming. And the panopticon is this idea that we are constantly being surveilled, not only by everyone around
0: us, but also to by ourselves. Yeah, and this is definitely a relevant philosophy when it comes not only to weight and body image, but to pregnancy too. And this is coming from a chapter in the book Weighty Issues, Fatness and Thinness as Social Problems uh, by John Germoff and Lauren Williams. And they're really talking about dieting and weight overall in general as it pertains to women and women's body image specifically, but I think so much of it ties so easily into this discussion about post-pregnancy weight. So they start start off by talking about dieting being a primarily female act. It's something normal that women are expected to do. They're expected to limit food intake and to be dissatisfied with their bodies. And so they ask, like, who's normalizing this? And they say that, you know, it's the media, it's fashion, it's the fitness industries. And they point out that there's this discourse uh, surrounding the beauty myth and the thin ideal Um, that at first glance is sort of evidence of this level of patriarchal oppression over women. But the authors say, we think there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, as they start to
4: peel this onion, there's this layer of women's success being measured by appearance. And they write... It's probably not by accident that women's appearance norms have intensified with the political and economic gains made by women in advanced industrialized societies. And it was really fascinating how they noted that particularly for, say, quote unquote, first wave feminism in uh, the early 20th century, late 19th century, uh, women's suffrage was very much aligned with health, physical health and exercise and those kinds of regimens because they saw that as sort of part of our liberation. Mm -hmm. And there is still, jump to today, there is still this, I don't know, there's still lots of body politics, obviously, embedded in these conversations we have about feminism.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, they've talked about, Body image, body expectations, especially as women advance through through and in society. But the people profiting off of this thin ideal, in, in our case today, we're talking about tabloids and gossip blogs profiting, not to mention fashion and fitness industries, but to do this, you standardize a thin ideal of beauty that the majority of women can never attain, they write. But you make it look so appealing that they actually seek it out. And in in this case, that goes back to that photoshopped cover image of Kourtney Kardashian. So that if you're that harried mom in the checkout line, you might want to pick up that magazine to get those elusive answers. Like, oh, maybe it is easy for some people to just drop this weight. Oh, I
4: will Almost always, if there's a grocery store line, I will pick up an Us Weekly and look at it. If I go on a long trip, that is my guilty pleasure of looking at those tabloids because they are so, I mean, and and even with all the pregnancy body stuff and even being a feminist and being totally aware of what's going on in these magazines, I still look at them. Absolutely. And it's all part of what uh, Jermav and Williams talk about in this chapter about women policing other women as well. It's not just, you know, the male gaze
0: that is at fault here. Yeah, they call it being the bearers of our own surveillance. Oh, God. Yeah, and they they found that for many women, being critical of other women's bodies served to boost their own self-esteem, like one woman they quoted who said, "'It makes you feel better if she's got something wrong. "'It makes you realize she's not perfect.'" And I'm just wondering, is that why we love the before and after baby picture so much? Like, look at her. She gained a bunch of weight. She's not perfect. Or she hasn't lost it all yet. She's not perfect. And to that I say, let's all just acknowledge straight up that nobody's perfect. Let's not have to tie that into trying to tear someone down to make the realization.
4: Well, and then we get into this so-called cult of thinness, possibly creating a gateway toward cosmetic surgery, as well, um, there is an analysis which found that plastic surgery can, beyond signifying oppression, quote, enable some women to alleviate the unbearable suffering and reappropriate formerly hated bodies. And this was something that post baby Gwyneth Paltrow actually discussed, um, saying that uh, she was open to the idea of a post breastfeeding breast lift.
0: Yeah, and I mean, when I tried to Google, because I tried to look for the actual quote that she made in the magazine about being open to it or having done it or thinking about doing it, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even wade through all of the gossip blogs that were just talking about, did she? Didn't she? Look at these pictures. Do her boobs look the same as they did back when she was like 16? I don't think so. And it's like, uh Please just drop it. So like I couldn't, I couldn't even find the actual article where someone actually interviewed her and got a quote because it was just full of nothing but trash blogs posting pictures of her body and commenting on it. Well, it's like we
4: secretly hope it's true or not so secretly so that we can have something else, especially for Gwyneth Paltrow, we can have something, something else to poke at. But let's get real. Let's step away from the tabloid aisle and let's get real in terms of bodies post-pregnancy, and this is coming not from Us Weekly, but thankfully from the National Library of Medicine's Medline Plus.
0: Okay, so you have some facts, not before and after photos, some actual facts. Yeah, and so they emphasize setting appropriate expectations. Don't get ahead of yourself when it comes to losing weight. You have to be kind to yourself, and I think that's true of every aspect in life, including your post-baby life. So they lay out sort of a a weight expectations timeline that you should plan to hit your pre-pregnancy weight or thereabouts about six months post-delivery. And they point out that on average, women lose half their baby weight, so to speak, by six weeks post-baby, while the rest of it comes off gradually over the next several months. And they also point out, hopefully, which I was like, huh, yeah, good point. You'll basically lose 10 or so pounds right out of the gate, thanks to just... Birthing your child. (laughs) So so there's 10 pounds right off the top. And they emphasize, as do several other sources, that you should aim for a weight loss of about one and a half pounds a week without dropping below your minimum calories for the day. But do not exert any effort to shed weight too
4: quickly. Give yourself, they say, until your six-week checkup before you actually try to lose weight. If you're breastfeeding, wait until your baby's at least two months old to give it a go. And why? Because your body needs to recover. It's just done this pretty incredible thing that also was pretty tough on your body. And losing too much weight too fast can hamper the process. And also, if you are breastfeeding, it could diminish your milk production. And speaking of breastfeeding, like we mentioned earlier... Be careful treating it like some kind of miracle weight loss solution because, yes, it burns calories. But that also means that you need to make those calories up because a breastfed baby needs up to 850 calories a day. Oh, that's so cute. Just 850. That's adorable. (laughs) It's not
0: like they're doing a lot of workouts.
4: I know. It's true. And those 850 calories
0: come from you. That's right. Not me but you yeah not you caroline no not me i you're I don't not think so. you're not taking any of my calories all right step off But you also have to face this new reality because you've got to get out of your mind the celebrity magazine jargon of getting your body back because the thing is, A, like Kristen said, it didn't go anywhere. It's just that it's changed. After you have a baby, you might forever have a slightly softer tummy. You might have stretch marks on a larger waistline. This isn't fodder for you to hate yourself or resent yourself or feel guilty about not looking a certain way that you did beforehand. This is the body that, you know, carried a baby and it took, it took some some abuse at that baby's expense, including the physical stuff that goes into creating that post-baby pooch. It is not fat, just in case you're wondering. It's caused by the separation of the outermost abdominal muscles, which in turn causes the connective tissue to stretch sideways and get thinner. And that weak old connective tissue is holding up organs instead of stomach muscles, so Please be gentle with yourself. As someone who's never carried a child, I ask you all to please be gentle with yourselves. And that goes for exercise as well as sex. Be gentle.
4: Let your body heal as you do that. And at one point while we were researching Caroline, I was tempted to start poking around for, well, what is the average amount of weight someone gains while pregnant? And I stopped myself because the answer is it doesn't really matter because everybody is different. Every body Is different, And we tend to forget that. And we tend to forget that, oh, people lose weight at different rates. People have different kinds of pre- and post-pregnancy diets. Some people might have had a C-section versus a vaginal delivery. And that's going to impact your recovery as well. So instead of seeing it as a weight loss journey, as we are so often primed to do, maybe we should think about it more in terms of just the recovery
0: period. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And I mean, we need to definitely hear from moms who've been through it and and how long it took them to recover, you know, if at all. Did you just jump back into work and, and things like that, or did you take your time? And some moms that we can turn to are circling back to those celebrity moms. I think people like Kristen Bell and Olivia Wilde have some good perspective, including even Jennifer Love Hewitt, who's been a victim of a whole lot of celebrity magazine taunting over the years. For instance, Hewitt says... You have to eat to feed your baby. Uh, she says, you know, body issues get you down sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I've had days where I'm like, oh, I wish this was easier, but it's not. And that's Okay. And Kristen Bell points out, yeah, change is hard no matter what it is, especially when it's weight gain. But, you know, it's easy to focus on the negatives and completely disregard the fact that you're making another human. You're participating in the most beautiful cycle that this Earth will allow. Who cares if you put on weight for a while? And
4: Olivia Wilde said, I don't want to waste my time striving for some subjective definition of perfection in regard to... This drive to erase all what she calls physical evidence of the childbearing experience. So, I mean, it's, it's great that, you know, in a culture that also celebrates and uplifts celebrities to the level of being role models, that there are some celebrity mom role models out there who are keeping it real and would like us to maybe keep it more real as well. So definitely want to hear from some people who have experienced this as well or even been close observers partners of people who have been pregnant we want to hear from you as well com is our email address you can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us on facebook and we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break
1: snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
3: The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights.
2: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around
3: the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring.
2: Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
3: PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865.
2: Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member
0: FDIC. Well, I have a letter here from Talis about our episode on social justice. She says, I, for one, do believe that Internet-based activism is vital, especially now with so many causes to follow and with most of the world being connected to the Web. As someone who actively participates in Black Lives Matter activism and actions in New York, Twitter was imperative. I used it to find locations of actions, follow updates for when people took to, to the streets as the group marches. Someone is usually tweeting the cross streets and to boost reliable sources and people. The use of Twitter and Facebook is also useful with the education-based activism that I'm involved in, which is based on abolishing the education crisis that is a result of institutionalized racism, the school-to-prison pipeline, and the defunding of our public schools. No thanks to Governor Cuomo. We have a lot of work to do. And finally, as a person who is also active in non-GMO, anti-Monsanto, anti-big organic activism, social media is also useful to stay on top of legislation, brand buyouts and brands to support or boost as these are my main campaigns that i personally work on in person and around on the web i could never delegitimize those who are unable to get to the streets themselves On the topic of political correctness, I do think it's gotten to a level of ridiculousness, but I continue to express my feelings as I'm allowed to by being an American. I myself just always probe and question people about their opinions when I think they're being closed-minded or passing microaggressions because some people honestly don't know because of their lifestyle. As a young, impoverished, feminist, bisexual woman of Irish and Caribbean descent, I have a lot under my belt to ask people to check their privilege about But again, there's a fine line. So thanks, Talis. Well, I got a letter here from Jessica about our science fiction and social justice episode. And she writes,
4: I'm an English teacher and wrote my master's thesis on feminist dystopic fiction, exploring futures where women's bodies, sexuality and reproduction were the subject, if not the foundation of an authoritarian government's control. The Handmaid's Tale was mentioned in your episode and was the keystone piece of my thesis. More than that, though, the book completely changed my life. I was in the Navy when I first read it, and in my early 20s, trying to figure out what to do after my four years was up. A friend lent me the book, and after reading it, I knew I wanted to talk about it, think about it, write about books for a living. I wanted people to be as inspired by literature as I was. That ended up leading me to teaching, which is a profession I truly love. I use science fiction and fantasy as well as graphic novels in my classes all the time one of the most delightful things i've seen in some of my younger students is that through YA dystopic fiction they're more aware of who they are and what they want to be now and as adults these novels give them a way to have a voice and an opinion on subjects of race gender class environmental protections and governance which may seem otherwise too far removed reading about the possibility for change through the lens of disaster can really motivate an invested reader to action. And that, to me, is why the dystopias are so fascinating. They aren't just about the disaster, they're about overcoming it. This is such a great topic, and I would love to see you do your summer reading episode on science fiction. A few suggestions from a specifically feminist perspective, I would add, would be Woman on the Edge of Time by Marge Piercy and Walk to the End of the World by Susie McKee Charnas. Thanks so much for your great show. And thanks for teaching, Jessica, and also for your great suggestions. And i got to tell you, listeners, we have been getting lots of requests for us to do our summer reading episode on science fiction. So have your voices be known. Let us know. And if you have suggestions for books or authors in that genre you want us to talk about, please email us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is the address. And for links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, Including this one with our sources, so you can read more about the post pregnancy weight loss madness around us. Head on over to Stuff Mom Never Told For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
2: HowStuffWorks.com. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the
3: bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
1: Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway.